Folks, before we jump into today's highlights, I just have to ask you, do you want to put 50 years of baseball history in your pocket? I know what you're thinking. It's not going to fit, but it really will because it's all in audio format. These are lost pieces of baseball history told to you from baseball cathedrals. They're, they're told to you by icons of the game from Red Barber, Ernie Howell to Harry Carey. I get goosebumps personally listening to these games and even thinking about the interviews and what these players are going to share with me. I know what you're thinking. Is this AI? Are there bots? Is there some magic potion here that are making these things appear? And I'm telling you, they're not. These games are real. They were done by real people at that specific moment in time. All the iconic moments, the interviews, none of it's reproduced, none of it's AI. It's all real, but done again by real people. If you want to check them out, uh, there's a free intro offer. Jump on over to VintageBaseballReflections.com. And there's over 2,500 audio clips and games for you to put in your pocket, take on walks with you, hang around the fireplace and listen, put them on the porch, invite some friends over. However you want to listen, you're going to be able to listen in these amazing moments in baseball history. Use this coupon this day for a special gift at the checkout. Surely starts to wiggle and to twitch. A signal? No, an itch. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Fenway Park. Mark Fidrich tonight. Each time he gets the ball back, you'll see him mumble a couple of words to the ball. The first man ever to pitch five career no-hitters. Catch him all, Joe! I don't believe what I just saw! Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we invite you to rise. Welcome to the Daily Rewind, brought to you by ThisDayInBaseball.com. I'm Tom Hannon, and I'm your host, and we bring you the voices from the past and all the golden nuggets you can't get just from looking at stats. Today, we bring you Hall of Famer Leo DeLip DeRocher. You probably figured that out by the entrance song. DeRocher, who will win over 2,000 games as a manager, and he also played 17 seasons as an active player, was known for his guts and his tenacity more than his skill. And you might put in just a little bit of gamesmanship in there. He played for two world champions, the 1928 New York Yankees and spot duty, and he was a key figure in the 1934 Gas Out Cardinals. And here's a little clip of uh, Leo talking about Joe Medwick and Dizzy Dean. Diz was near the drinking fountain, and he said to Joe, you'll hustle after the ball from now on. He said, when I'm pitching out here, I'll punch you right in the nose. And with that, he got up and started for Joe. And Paul joined him. And Joe just carefully reached down for a bat. And he said, stop up here, boys, and I'll separate both of you. Well, we finally got that quieted down. About the third inning, we got the bases loaded. We were two runs behind. Medwick hit one over in the trees in Shenley Park. 
He come in, went right to the drinking fountain, Diz sitting right there in front of it. Joe took a big drink of water, spit on Dean's foot, and he says, see if you can hold that lead. <laughs> he did win over 2,000 games as a manager, and he won just one World Series with the 1954 Giants, and he was elected into the Hall of Fame in 1994. And on today's date, March 1st, 1947, Father Vincent Powell announces the diocese, the CYO, Catholic Youth Organization, will no longer participate in the Dodgers Not Whole Club, stating the church cannot continue to have their youngsters associated with the team's manager, Leo DeRocher. The Monser who has been the director of the local CYO since 1940, believes the Brooklyn skipper represents an example in complete contradiction to the faith's moral teaching. What spurred this on was his affair with married actress Lorraine Day. Now the two will later elope this year in Marion, Texas. And in the 1950s, Day hosts a radio program called Day with the Giants, and later authored a book with the same title describing the life of a manager's wife. And I'm going to bring you a clip from the show right now. From Day to DeRocher to Giles, it's double play with DeRocher and Day. With their guest Warren Giles, here's another chapter of double play with DeRocher and Day. Welcome to another visit with baseball's most exciting and controversial couple, Lorraine Day and Leo DeRocher, with their guest for today, Mr. Warren Giles, president of the National League. Now, this could be Leo's big opportunity, and from the looks of things, he's not wasting any time. In fact, he's sitting so close to Mr. Giles that Lorraine is slightly annoyed. Well, for heaven's sakes, Leo, what are you doing now? Well, I've always wanted to get close to the president of the National League, and this is the best chance I... Come on. Well, Be hey. serious for a little bit. All right. Yes, and fans, here's our chance to get serious with an interesting message for you. And now back to double play, as Leo says. Well, you know, Warren, when you were general manager and president of the Cincinnati Ball Club, you know, you and I were allies. I thought maybe now that you're president of the National League, I'd get a little of my money oh, back. Oh, you like me because, because you could beat us all the time. Oh, well. <laughs> we were a little lucky there. Hi there. So glad to be back with you again this week, and we have a very distinguished guest with us tonight, Mr. Warren Giles, president of the National League. First, I want to know, Mr. Giles, this I don't think Leo is expecting me to ask you, so I'm going to get oh, right into hot water with him right away. This is going to be but, good. you know, whenever there is an argument on the field or any kind of an incident between umpires and managers and players, in which my husband is usually involved, Usually, uh, yes, usually. <laughs> Very seldom. You know that one. I never happened to trouble you. New DeRocher now. Anyway, uh, what I want to know is, I know that the umpires go home and they sit down and they write a report that very night about the whole incident and they send it to you. And your decision is based on that report. But what I want to know is, why don't uh, managers and players get to write a report? It's a serious thing. I asked the manager or the player to tell his side of it, too. It's probably an innovation in baseball, but I'll uh, probably have three or four innovations, and just by trial and error, they may work out good or bad, but I think every person ought to be able to tell their story before their discipline. It may not change the opinion of the league president at all, hearing his side of it, but I think he'll feel better having had a chance to tell his side of it. I think so, too. Well, uh, as long as 
You want to say anything. Yes, I was just wondering when you're going to let me say something here. You know, Juan, I, I think you better keep that door open then at your office because... Uh, you uh, I get thrown out quite a bit, you know, during the course of a season, although I am... The new Duro. Sure, I doff my oh, cap to the boys yeah, now. Yeah. That's and, not what uh, I hear. Oh, well. What you get in the report. <laughs> well, uh, uh, we think we're right, and uh, the umpire makes his decision, and he thinks he makes the right one. I don't know of any manager or any player in baseball that's ever questioned or doubted the integrity of an umpire. That has never been doubted, and we don't do that. Uh, question the right side a little bit once in a while on a play, and that's the reason for being thrown out. Ball players are pretty good sports. They are. I know. too. They... They're, they're mad, they beef at the time, but after the, oh, the whole situation over and the incident's closed, why, they start a new day. That's right. I don't think a manager or a ball player wants to have an umpire up on the carpet. No, no, no. call no, him up that, there. I think that, uh, uh, that a manager and an umpire knows that when he has been fined, that you've weighed everything. I found it that way when our now commissioner, Mr. Frick, was president of the National League, and I'm sure that we'll find it that way. I gotta, you know, polish the apple a little bit here, Warren. I hope he's listening. <laughs> yes, I hope yeah. that everything's all right. <laughs> all right. So, tell me, is there an umpire in the National League that wears glasses? No, I, I don't know of it. Oh, they may sneak them around the corner when they read the paper or something of that kind. I see nothing wrong with an umpire wearing glasses. Neither do at I. All. We have I ball players who wear glasses. Why, of course. Uh, all right. As a matter of fact, an umpire's vision. Uh, is not the determining factor in whether or not he's a good uh, umpire. You know, you hear so many people in the band yelling, ah, oh, why don't you wear glasses, you know? Oh, I'd they call them blind, but that's, uh, that's an old baseball saying that'll live as long as the game lives, I believe. Uh, the greatest, greatest uh, asset an umpire can have is being able to handle situations. I, I think that's the main the same, thing. I think it's the same as managers, Leo. That's right. You get a half a dozen managers, uh, any one of them can tell when to steal, when to bunt, or something of that kind. You can get umpires, you can get boys that can say, well, the man, bang, bang, whether he's safe or out. That's but right. if he gets in trouble, that's when the good umpire comes to the front. He handles the situation. Well, Mr. Charles, I have a, a letter here for you that, uh, if part of the letter says that I like to say hello to my favorite players before the ball game, but they say they are no longer permitted to talk to us fans. Why is this? And it's uh, asked by George Hankey, Patterson, New Jersey. Possibly it keeps them from talking to their friends, but then Joe Doak's living or sitting next to this fellow. Hey, Jay, Leo, hey, hey, hey. And if you don't go over and talk to him, he's offended. So it's better just to cut the whole thing off when they get out there on the, on the field. I think it's just better. It was a rule long ago, too, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yes. It's nothing, it's, it's, it's nothing new. It's been in effect all the time that you shouldn't fraternize with other players as you walk on the field. Oh, no, uh, I'm talking about fans. I know. Well, that it was always into effect that you shouldn't fraternize with players as you walk on the field and stop and talk to fans sitting in boxes or along the railing or anything like that. You just shouldn't do it. All right, why shouldn't you fraternize with players? What harm does that do? Because all of us know you've played on so many different clubs together and your friends after the game's over. Uh, I'm sure a lot of fans say, well, what harm does it do if they say, hi, uh, Johnny, how are you today? I'm definitely opposed to that because... You, you know, Leo, and we all know that these contests, these ball games out there, they're, they're hotly contested. But if the fans see the ball players, palsy wowsy, have their arms around, uh, yeah, 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 and then they get the idea that there's no, that there really isn't a contest. They say, well, they think it's like wrestling, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> and I tell you, and a few years ago, uh, quite a few years ago, that uh, there was uh, quite a discussion about. Uh, two players in the National League that were fighting for the batting championship, and one player, one of the two, on the last day of the season, got three hits and all three of them bunts. And uh, everybody wrote in the paper after that newspaper meant that the third baseman for that club was playing back. 
because he liked this fella and that he was a friend of his and, and uh, that they had gone out together and had dinner and things and that he played back and he bunted and got three hits. Well, I think uh, things like that, you say hello to a player and if a fan sees it, he says, uh, my, he might be pitching uh, and relieving and so-and-so comes up and he gets a home run. He says, well, he was talking to him before the game. I guess he told him he was going to do it. It isn't so. But you can't uh, tell what a fan is liable to think, so I think it's better if you just don't uh, have a lot of uh, fraternizing with players. It just looks better. It That's looks right. Better. It looks what about, it what about didn't Dizzy Dean like some one particular hitter? There were two ball players in the National League that Dizzy Dean was crazy about. One of them was the second baseman for the Giants named Huey Critz, and the other one was Whitehead, who also played with the Giants, Whitey Whitehead. And they used to come up, and Dizzy just uh, lay, he said, here's my boy Whitey, and he just lay a fast one right down through the middle. And one day in St. Louis, he laid a fast one right down the middle for Whitehead, and he had a line drive and hit Diz right in the head <laughs> and bounced down in the bullpen, and they carried Diz off the field, and Diz says, uh, well, that's all right. He said, that was my partner. That was my boy, Whitey. But he hit him right on the forehead with a line drive. <laughs> Did he throw him up any more easy ones after Well, that? he never got mad. Diz used to do that a lot. He had the confidence, too. If Whitey does get on, I'll strike out the next two. He sure. won't bother me. That's the way. No, there weren't many Diz teams around. never very much no. on him. Well, right now, I think we should uh, take just a seventh inning stretch and let our sponsor say a few words. And now back to double play with Leo DeRocher and Lorraine Day and their guest for today, Warren Giles. Now, let's go to the next one from Roger H. Winston, Toledo, Ohio, who says, The gang in our club always is arguing the merits of the National and American League. Which do you think is better? He should ask the three of us which we think is better. Well, he has a little prejudice. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm afraid he's liable to get into the trouble here, but we'll let Mr. Giles answer that one. That's... Well, I think uh, we can let Mr. Giles answer it by my uh, telling him about the wire you received in spring training when you said, uh, Mr. Giles said in his wire, he said uh, that he wanted the National League clubs to win their exhibition games to prove to the people that the National League was the better club between the two. And I thought it was sort of strange, this wire, because uh, Leo had always told me that exhibition games, it really wasn't terribly important who won. The thing that was so important was that he could see his players, you know. Oh, I, I think you have to condition your ball club. That has to come first. But when you admire the text of my wire was that where you can do it without impairing your training program. That's exactly the way he meant the wire because you, we had a meeting. I remember that. Well, that makes all the sense in the world. Of course it does. He, uh, Warren says that uh, I don't expect you to go out there and, and ruin a player or hurt a player uh, uh, in order to win a game from an American League club. He says, naturally, I know that you're trying to win and you're doing your best. He said, but I do think that when you play the inter-squad games and you do play clubs in the National League, that uh, that is the time that you would do more experimenting. And when you play the American League, that is our opponent and our opposition, and we should show the American League and the public that the National League is a better league. Why do you think the National League is better? I think oh, we have better like young ball players. Of course, I may be a little prejudiced. I of course, he's only the president of the National League. That would make but, it that way, I believe. Yes, but I mean, uh, but even being president, he could still yeah, have but a, maybe this idea of it. wanting the National League to beat the American League team, maybe that's personal, because for 15 years in the National League, I had seven teams I could pull against. Mm -hmm. I had seven competitors. I had a lot of fun. Now I only have one, and that's the American League. So I have to have somebody to <laughs> shoot at. That's right. You know, <laughs> have to shoot at somebody. Well, uh, Victor Redding in Baltimore, Maryland, would like to know, do you think the pitchers have any basis for their complaints that most of the recent rule changes have been to their disadvantage? 
Oh, I don't think so. It all depends. Those viewpoints and the headlines in the newspapers about the dead ball, you have two or three games where some pitchers pitch effectively and pitch some shutouts. Then the newspapers will be full of the idea, oh, they've deadened the ball. Something's happened to the ball. Then the next week there'll be some big scores. The jackrabbit ball is back in again. I think the, the, the hitters who are having a little difficult time with that big bat and maybe a little difficult time with the curveball and that change up seeing it a little bit and that fastball is going right there they say oh you help the pitchers a lot well, what about the uh, strike zone that oh i'm, so I'm glad you mentioned that. that somebody seems to think that the strike zone has been narrowed yes. the strike zone i happen to be on the committee that recodified or defined the rules two or three years ago they didn't change the rules we asked the umpires where do you where's the top of the strike zone they say right across the letters. Well, you can't have the letters, so they'll, one team will come out with the letters down here, and then the next day they'll come out up, up here, from the bottom of the armpits to the knees. Now, that, that hasn't helped or hurt the pitchers. I think some of the umpires exaggerated it, possibly, when the thing first came in, but there was no attempt to narrow the strike zone at all, Leo. Some of your pitchers and your hitters may think so. Oh, sure. Well, uh, they always will, no matter how big you'd make it. They'd, they'd always have a complaint. But look, Warren. The, uh, I mean, uh, Just a minute. <laughs> I'm sorry, Leo. We've run out of time. We, we really run, have? We can't run out of time. Just one minute. I think you want uh, Warren. Who am I? Let me have a little bit of money back, will you, in case I get in trouble. Uh, it's been too tough getting it, Leo. I think you've been a little bit too good. We're going to keep every dime. All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but we really have run out of time, and it's been a pleasure, Mr. Giles, to have you on the show, and I'm sure all of our fans have enjoyed listening to you and talking to you. We'll see you next week, same time, same station, okay? All right, how about that? Uh, that's a real walk in the past, huh? Now, DeRocha also clashed regularly with Commissioner Albert Happy Chandler. Chandler, who had been named to the post in 1945, warned DeRocha to stay away from some of his old friends who were gamblers, bookmakers, or had mob connections. And he allowed these people to have free reigns at Ebbets Field, DeRocha was particularly close to actor George Raft, with whom he shared a Los Angeles home, and he admitted to, no, to an acquaintance with Bugsy Siegel. DeRocha, who encouraged and participated in card schools within the clubhouse, was something of a pool shark himself and a friend to many pool hustlers. He also followed horse racing very closely. Chandler was pressured by Larry McPhail, of the Dodgers, a close friend who was pivotal in having him appointed as commissioner. And the commissioner would find out that DeRocha and Raft might, now I say might, have rigged a crap game that took advantage of an active player for a large sum of money. The player's identity was never officially confirmed, but former Tiger pitcher Eldon Euchre wrote in his 2002 memoir that it was then-current then pitcher Dizzy Trout. Chandler suspended DeRocha for the 1947 season for association with known gamblers. Now, Leo the Lip uh, also wrote this book called Nice Guys Finish Last, and I'm going to uh, play a clip when he's going to talk about that. He was interviewed by Roy Leonard, and he talks about uh, how he came up with the Nice Guys Finish Last quote, and it wasn't actually his quote, but he did use it to write his book. Now, uh, DeRocha, of course... When I talked to that baseball legend, Leo DeRocher, this was way back in 1975, I asked him if he really did say, nice guys finish last. 
No, I didn't, and uh, I didn't mean it that uh, you couldn't be a nice guy and win. I was asked the question by Frankie Graham, and when I was managing the Dodgers, and there were several newspaper men there, and they pointed, he pointed to Stanky, and that's what started it. And I used the uh, late Branch Rickey's quote. Uh, Frankie Graham said, why do you like him so much? And I said, he can't hit, can't run, can't feel, can't throw. He can't do a damn thing but beat you. And uh, that was Mr. Rickey's quote. And about that time, <clears throat> the Giants came out of the dugout. And I said, you see that number four there? That's the nicest man ever put a uniform on. But he surrounded himself by all nice guys. And you do that, and they get self-satisfied, self-sufficient. Whether they win or lose makes no difference. They go home, get a good night's sleep. Maybe they think they give 100%. I don't think they do all the time. You'll finish last. Well, they took it right out of there that nice guys finish last and that right out of context, which I didn't mean that you couldn't be in. Well, the proof is every time Mara Parsegian won a football game, I was always in the lead. Who says you couldn't be a nice guy? And what was that fellow's name? And they always mention my name. And Parsegian and I are very close friends. Leo DeRocher's book, Nice Guys Finish Last, has only been out, uh, oh, maybe officially, I guess, only a few days. And already it's promoted controversy because uh, uh, Leo, in uh, baseball lingo, tells it like it is. Uh, I, I tell you one thing, though, Leo. I almost feel, as I go through your book, like a priest listening to confession. I mean, here is this, uh, you know, Leo Durocher from West Springfield, Massachusetts, finally, uh, with, with his baseball years probably in the past, deciding, I, I guess I better tell it. So here I am in the confessional listening to all of these stories, but my priestly mind is saying, did it really happen that way, or is this the way Leo wished it had happened? No, uh, that's exactly the way it happened. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, when I broke in, uh, oh, it was nothing for me, you know. In those days, you had no uh, maximum or minimum salary. Pay anything they wanted, three, four, five thousand dollars whatever you could get. I know I got uh, $150 a month in the Eastern League when I broke in, and they finally raised me to 200 hmm. And then the Yankees bought me, and I think my first contract there was something like for 4500 or something like that, and I finally reached the 7000 plateau uh, when they got rid of me uh, because I did crazy things in those days, or I mean crazy. When I tell you it, it's in the book, that's the way it happened. I would go into Sulkas in New York, and I'd buy uh, $65, $75 pair of pajamas and buy four or five pair now, where did, this, where did this matter of taste come from? I mean, here's a guy born into a comparatively poor family in, in West Springfield. Your mom went out and was, was a, a scrub woman. That's right. Uh, your dad worked for the railroad. That's where right. does a guy all of a sudden get taste for salka ties? I always did that, uh, and it came when I uh, was a kid and I had uh, quit school, and I was working at the Boston Albany Railroad, and in those days, you know, to have, uh, you know, as a kid my age, you generally go and buy your suit off the rack. Well, I had a tailor there, and his name was Jack O'Hara. He was a scout for the Hartford Club in the Eastern League. And I paid $75. He made my clothes. And that's how it all began. And uh, from then on, uh, nothing satisfied me off the rack. I had to have it made. And uh, as I say, uh, I was in debt every day. <laughs> there was no question about it. I'd find some way to be in debt. 
I think those who pick up Nice Guys Finish Last are, are going to be pleased at the human side of Leo DeRocher, because this is Leo telling the story his way. And uh, I was particularly impressed with your thoughts about your dad uh, and your parents. Uh, I guess all of us throughout our lives make mistakes, and Leo DeRocher has made maybe more than anybody in the world. That's right. There's no question about that. But you don't mind talking about it now? Not a bit. Uh, the uh, one thing I do regret, of course, is about my dad. Uh, he was a great lover of baseball, and they used to needle him all the time. They'd, uh, he'd go into, uh, I remember there was a restaurant named Boyle's, and it was in Springfield, and he'd go in and get a cup of coffee, and, and they'd talk about uh, Bartell or Jurgis or something. Well, what's wrong with my boy? And then with that, and I used to be with him sometimes. I said, Dad, you know, they're just needling you now, trying to get you riled up, and he said, well, that's not right. He says, you can outplay all of them. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. Now, that was when I was with the Yankees. And he used to come to Boston, and uh, he would never take the train, wouldn't fly down, took the bus. Loved to be on the bus. And then we'd have dinner, uh, play the ball game, and, I, and I'd take him out and have dinner. And he'd say, do you mind? I'll be back to the hotel in an hour. So he loved to walk around by himself at Times Square. And he always wanted me. Roy, to be a manager. And that's the one thing that I regret. Uh, when I was made manager of the uh, Dodgers, uh, I was going home on a weekend, on a Saturday and Sunday. And I said, well, I won't call. I'll surprise uh, my dad when I get home. And my dad, I was going home Sunday morning. My dad died Saturday night of a heart attack. Never did find out. I never. Uh, I, think, I, I think, though, that... Uh, he knows. I think he knows. I know that Leo DeRocher has personally destroyed Lou Boudreau on at least 50 occasions oh, oh. when you guys used to do that pregame show out of Wrigley Field. I have more fun with him. You must like each other to get away with that. I'll tell oh, you. Oh, he's a doll. I love working with him. Now, DeRocher was also a manager of the crooked 1951 New York Giants. They historically erased a 13-and-a-half-game lead in mid-August and won the National League pennant on Bobby Thompson's infamous shot heard around the world. The Giants, as we later discovered, cheated the entire time. They had coach Herman Franks hidden in the centerfield clubhouse with a military field scope with his intel triggering a bell system that identified pitches for the hitter. Hmm. Now, if you're following baseball in uh, 2020, that might ring a bell uh, for what just happened with the Houston Astros. Now, I know a lot of people say that uh, the technology is different now, and I get it with video and everything, but uh, what the uh, Giants did in 1951 weren't all that different. But I am going to play that clip of the Giants winning the pennant now. Bobby Thompson, he's at two out of three, a single or a double, and Billy Cox is playing him right on the third base line. One out, last of the ninth, back of pitches. Bobby Thompson takes a strike call on the inside corner. Bobby hitting at 2.92. He's had a single and a double, and he drove in the Giants' first run with a long fly to center. Brooklyn leads it 4 to 2. Arton down the line at third, not taking any chances. Lockton without too big of a lead at second, but he'll be running like the wind if Thompson hits one. Back of throws. There's a long side. I can't be I believe. The Giants won the pennant! 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 Bobby Thompson hits into the very back! 
Jackson hit a line drive into the board deck of the left field fan. And the train place is going crazy. The Giants throw a stone up and got a winner. The Giants won it by a score of 5-4. to four, And they're picking Bobby Thompson up and carrying him off the field. Now, I hope you enjoyed listening to all these clips on Leo DeRocha. It was my pleasure to bring them to you today. I just want to tell you where some of these clips came from. Uh, They came from WGNRadio.com, Chicago. Uh, They came from the Radio Audio Archive. If you have some old baseball audio clips, we'd sure love to hear them. And you can reach me directly at tbinbb at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please help us by sharing the show. If you enjoyed the show, you can please help us by sharing the show and subscribing. You can subscribe to us on whatever podcatcher you use. And just remember that the number one way that podcasts grow is when they get shared. Share us on social media. Tell a friend. It really helps us grow the show. And if you're enjoying the content, the sure way that we're going to be able to bring you more content is by more, is by acquiring more listeners. Secondly, we'd really like you to please consider sponsoring a page. You could go to Leo's page at thisdayinbaseball.com slash Leo DeRocha and consider sponsoring his page with a personal message and a link. Now, if you're a Dodgers fan, maybe the link isn't going to be that great. <laughs> but uh, if you're a, a fan of DeRocha and the Hall of Fame, uh, maybe you want to put some type of message in there uh, about his his career or about something that impacted you. But um, if he's not your man, we've got pl- we've got every player that's ever played, 40,000 events. Check out our page. Check out our sponsorship program, thisdayinbaseball.com. Sponsor a page and see if there's something that you'd like to sponsor. You know, just consider joining our community as well, uh, our Facebook page, This Day in Baseball, or you could sign up for our emails right on the page. Uh, Just you get notified when uh, new posts come out, new podcasts. It's a great way for you to stay uh, connected with us and you can find out what's happening on a daily basis. Now, again, just want to thank you for joining us. Uh, We've got great shows coming out this month. We've got uh, Mel Ott, Joe DiMaggio, Jim Rice. Much, much more for uh, the month of March for this day in baseball. And I hope you enjoy the Daily Rewind. And until the next time, I hope to see you at the ballpark. I'm Tom Hannon. I'm out. Peace. Peace.